Yes, our text is found in the Old Testament book, 2 Samuel. I'm going to read uh, verse 4 of chapter 4, because that kind of sets up chapter 9, and I'll read chapter 9 in its entirety, beginning at 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, meaning their death, and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. And then we turn to chapter 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant, that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. I have preached on this passage in the past, I think it was about seven years ago, and it was a different sermon, I made sure. (laughs) And I think a different message in this one. I just wonder, do you ever have those times in life where you stop long enough to think back and look over how God has blessed you? You know, that's one thing we do as a nation, or many of us, with the 4th of July. 
a holiday like this gives us an opportunity to stop, to pause, to reflect, uh, to look back and see how God has blessed us in this land of the free and the brave. You know, sometimes uh, these kinds of moments simply happen, but other times we plan for them. For example, on our denominational level, we had planned for one of these kinds of moments where we look back and reflect in the 100th anniversary celebration at Bon Clarken, uh, our denominational conference grounds that's been going on uh, this weekend. They have previously had some celebratory events like the Tour of Homes at Bon Clarken on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, but this weekend was the main event, we might say. Uh, with Saturday lunch on the grounds, they set, so, sold 400 tickets for that lunch. I don't know if 400 people were there, but there were a lot of people. Uh, there was uh, the unveiling of a historical marker. There was a worship service in the chapel at 2 p.m. yesterday afternoon, a worship service of praise and thanksgiving for God's faithfulness to us as a denomination, yes, but His faithfulness in how He's used Bon Clarken through the years. And uh, your pastor emeritus, Bob Robinson, was a part of that service. Your former youth director, Andrew Shoger, preached in that service. And a son of this congregation, the Reverend Rick Lewis, was also involved in the service. So First ARP in Rock Hill was well represented in that service of worship. And you know, I'd like to tell you all sorts of stories of how God has used Bon Clarken through the years to change people's lives because I know many of those stories. We could talk about Camp Joy, for example, and the impact it's had on so many young people's lives as well as the campers who attend there. Or I could talk about senior high and junior high youth conferences back in the day, which are now referred to as Horizon and Quest, where hearts were open to God and His calling on young people's lives. Perhaps you were one of those people who was changed by God uh, through the ministry of Von Clarken. There's one story that really sticks in my mind that Peggy Murdoch tells in her history of Von Clarken. We have that book in our church library and I recommend it to you. Grady Patterson, if my memory serves me correctly, was a layman who served out of the Boris Memorial Church in Kings Mountain back in the middle of the 20th century. And if you've ever enjoyed the beauty of the Bon Clarken Lake or caught a fish in that lake or kayaked in that lake or if you're old enough like me ever swam in that lake, they don't allow that anymore, uh, then you have Grady Patterson to thank because he was the one, humanly speaking, who made the Bon Clarken Lake happen in the 1950s. And he was once asked why he gave so much time, so much effort, so many of his financial resources to Bon Clarken, and this was his answer. I came up to Bon Clarken in 1948 and I heard some preaching 
that I never forgot. These are the kinds of things that are worth celebrating. Every one of us needs these reflective periods, these nostalgic moments when we can pause long enough to remember who we are, where we've come from, who helped us along the way, any promises or commitments or thank yous we've left undone. And, and the occasion of an anniversary helps us to do that, just like a homecoming does. I say all of this because that's what we see David doing in our text this morning. Overwhelmed by the Lord's goodness and grace, this middle-aged king meditates upon all of his blessings and while doing so, he must have enjoyed a nostalgic moment remembering his former friendship with Jonathan, which causes him to ask here in verse 1 of chapter 9, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, if you remember anything at all about David's biography as we have it in Scripture, you know that David's best friend in his early adult years was who? Jonathan. And because of their friendship, they made a covenant one day. Jonathan knew that the hand of God was upon David. And even though David wasn't king yet, Jonathan knew that he was going to be king one day. And they made a covenant stating in effect that when David took power, he would continue to show Jonathan and his family the loving kindness of the Lord. That's why David asked. Is there anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And that word kindness there in the Hebrew is that word we've talked about many times before. Hesed, H-E-S-E-D in the Hebrew which is normally translated as loving kindness or steadfast love or mercy, or grace, or if you grew up in the ARP church singing Bible songs, you know, Psalm 31 we would sing, He has shown me marvelous kindness. You can even translate it that way. It's a covenantal word. And the essence of the love or grace it describes can be summed up in the words that God gives to his prophet Jeremiah when he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. You remember God originally told the Israelites in Deuteronomy 7 they were his people, not because they were powerful or strong or desirable, for he said they were the fewest in number. No, he chose them because of his steadfast love and his keeping the oath which he swore to their fathers. Now, I mention that because, you see, that's exactly what David is doing here. It's a, a question full of grace because of what David does not ask. He does not ask, is there anyone who's deserving? Is there anyone who's qualified? Is there anyone who's strong or bright that I can employ in my kingdom right away? No, he simply asks, is there anyone? It's an unconditional desire. 
a question, as one person put it, literally oozing with grace. Well, a previous servant of the house of Saul, a man named Ziba, is brought before the king with the presupposition that if anyone knew where someone was located from the house of Saul, Ziba would know. And he said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who's crippled in his feet. Notice that Ziba doesn't even give a name. Not only is he handicapped, he's a no-name. His life really doesn't matter to most people. But he's entitled to the promise of David. For when Ziba mentions this handicapped son, David doesn't say, Oh, really? How badly is he crippled? He simply says, Where is he? As if to say, let's get him here. And while the scripture never gives us the intonation of its characters, I can imagine Ziba responding with surprise in his voice. Well, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. There's so much in this passage that we can't receive from the English translation. Just like there's so much to that word has said, loving kindness, so is there a great deal to the name of this place, Lodabar. In Hebrew, it means a barren place. It's as if Ziba is saying that Jonathan's son is living in a place that resembles his whole life, a place of barrenness, a wilderness, a wasteland. And I just wonder, do you ever feel like that? As if your life is totally barren. That you live in a wilderness with no lush life anywhere in sight. No grace to be found. No promises of God to hear. That's the type of life I believe that Jonathan's son Mephibosheth has known. Notice he's living with someone else. He's dependent on somebody for his living. Ever since he was five years old and the news came of his father's death, he's lived this kind of life. In her haste to get him to safety, his nurse dropped him. He became crippled when he's only five. And then over the years, he had either watched or heard of his family being executed systematically. Because that's what happens to the old king's family. When a new king comes into power in the east. This is why it's so rare that we see David and Jonathan make a covenant like they made. Yes, Lodabar describes the life of Mephibosheth perfectly. No life, no future, no grace. And now a summons to come before the king. I want to take a break from this story long enough to ask you a question about Jesus. What command did Jesus use most? As we read through the Gospels, what did he say to people more than any one thing? Do not fear. Chuck Swindoll in his book Grace tells us, 
That's what Jesus said more than any other command. Fear not. Don't be afraid. I mean, if you were standing before the perfect Son of God and all of His holiness and righteousness and power, wouldn't you be afraid? And yet Jesus, great in grace, repeatedly said to the people around Him, don't be afraid. It's the same thing we see David do here for Mephibosheth. Even though David has never personally executed any of Saul's family, he kept his hands completely clean. He's the only grandson of Saul left alive. He must think nothing good can come from this meeting with David. It's no wonder that he falls on his face before the king. He's basically pleading for his life, even though we don't hear that from his mouth. Just imagine being in his position. This barren life you've lived, dependent on someone else all of your life, and now you're on your face before the king who holds your life in his hands, and you hear those words. Don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. I imagine Mephibosheth couldn't believe what his ears just heard. No more barren life. No more wilderness? Can you even begin to imagine how he must have felt? Not only is he a man of property instantly, he's also treated as royalty four different times. This passage makes us clear that he would eat at the king's table just as if he's one of David's own sons. You see, David not only talks a good game of said, but he also backs it up with action. A perpetual place at the king's table, restoration of property, a secure income, far more abundantly blessed than he could ever have hoped or imagined. And of course, you know where I'm going in this sermon. That's just what God has done. For you and me. Because like Mephibosheth, we too have had a fall. We can read about it in Genesis 3 and we're crippled by the effects of sin because of that fall. And much like Mephibosheth with David, we have nothing to offer God. We're not strong or wise or rich or in any way desirable. Mephibosheth had nothing, did nothing, deserved nothing. He didn't even try to win the king's favor. All he could do was humbly realize his subservient position and accept the loving gift of his master. And what did David do? He adopted him into his royal family. What does the good news of the gospel tell you and me? It tells us in the gospel of John to all who believed in his name, he gave power to become what? Children of God. 
who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Every time Mephibosheth limped to the king's table, he was reminded of David's loving kindness. Surely, our imperfect condition keeps us from forgetting that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. I'll tell you a story that illustrates that truth. Fred Craddock, who for many years taught at Emory University, taught preaching, and was a famous story preacher at the end of the 20th century. He relates how he and his wife were vacationing one time in the Great Smoky Mountains in Tennessee and stopped at the Blackberry Inn to eat. Undoubtedly, that's a famous place to eat. I've never eaten there. But uh, as they were eating, this older gentleman near them found out that Craddock was a preacher and he said, I've got a story to tell you. We preachers sometimes have people do that to us. And he began by saying, I was born back here in these mountains and my mother was not married. And in those days, that was about the greatest shame that a person could carry. When we went to town, people would look at her and then look at me. And I could tell they were trying to guess who my father was. It was painful and humiliating. I felt like nothing. The, the kids at school made fun of me and they called me a name I cannot repeat. I started to go to church when I was nine or ten at a place called Laurel Springs and there was this preacher there. He was a cranky, rough preacher with a bushy beard and a big booming voice. And I would always come in late to worship and leave right after the sermon so that I didn't have to talk to anyone. I was afraid someone would say, what's a boy like you doing in church? Who is your daddy anyway? Well, one Sunday after the sermon, people began filling the aisles to go to the altar, and I couldn't rush out as I usually did, and I couldn't get through all of the people, and I began to shake all over. I thought, somebody's going to stop me and expose my shame before the whole congregation. And all of a sudden, I felt this big hand on my shoulder, and out of the corner of my eye, I could see it was the preacher and he said, boy, you're a child of God. I see a striking resemblance. And he swatted me on the bottom and he said, go claim your inheritance. Well, about this time, Fred Craddock said to him, what's your name? And the old man said, my name's Ben Hooper. And Craddock said, Ben Hooper. Ben Hooper, I remember my daddy telling me about the people of Tennessee twice electing a man, an illegitimate son by the name of Ben Hooper as governor. And the old man said, I was born that day in that church. 
Don't you think Mephibosheth was born that day when he met with David? You see, as always, this text in 2 Samuel is not a story about Mephibosheth or Ziba or even David. It's a story of God's loving kindness and amazing grace. It's a story where David is a type of Christ for you and me to see how God reaches out to us in grace and love and fulfills His promises over and over again. It's a story proclaiming once again that though the wages of death is sin, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God has shown His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's the good news of the gospel. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. All you have to do is search and you can see. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.